Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. All right. I'm real excited. I don't know if you guys knew this, but both my grandfathers were, were preachers. Uh, my dad's dad was a preacher, and my mom's dad was a preacher. And uh, my mom's dad actually passed away preaching at his mom's funeral. Yeah, so he, um, the last words he said were, this is a day for rejoicing, not for mourning. And then he had a, a brain aneurysm and passed right then, right then and there. But I found that the last words he said are applicable anytime, not just at funerals. This is a day for rejoicing, not a day for mourning. Whatever you came in here with today, whatever you're feeling, whatever's got you depressed or anxious or tired, this is a day for rejoicing. Amen. Yeah. So like I said earlier, I'm not here to teach you anything. I, I hope to encourage you and help you remember and build you up and, and stir you up and uh, maybe give you a fresh revelation, but there's way too much of an expectation on teaching. And that was the one thing that, that I felt the Lord was freeing me up of this entire month, was any time I felt like I needed to hop into my, my mind or my flesh, and I was like, I, I want to be able to this, and I just felt like the Lord was like, put that expectation on me. Put that expectation on me. So right now, you want to be encouraged, you want to be built up, put that expectation on Jesus. And I'm just going to let him speak through me. Um, yeah, because this, I, I don't look at you guys as students. That's, that is, that's no cap, that's no cap right? <laughs> I don't look at y'all as students. Like Clint said, this is the living room. This is like the Christian Olive Garden, you know? When you hear your family. <laughs> and at the end of this, I'm not going to put any sort of expectation or burden or yoke on you. If I preach for 30 minutes about Jesus and then ask you what you're going to do, then I've just completely undone everything. I'm preaching from a place of it already being done for you. So let's just connect to that. Um, you know, there's two types of ways to shepherd sheep. And the one, the more popular way, is by setting up boundaries with a sheepdog, and the shepherd go out and they, they herd the flock. The other way is one they do in the Middle East. Sometimes they still practice this, but what they do is they dig a well. They dig a well deep down to get to the fresh water. And so those sheep, they come in, they get refreshed, and then they never wander too far away from the well. And that's what this church is. That's what this body of believers, that's what we are. We are an environment that offers refreshment. We're not going to put the yoke of, you got to do this, you got to be this, you got to come in at this time, you got to look this way. We're not going to do that. We don't want to do that. That's not our hope. And that's not what Jesus would want. He doesn't want you to do something for him. He wants to do it with you. That's always been his goal, his union from the beginning. It was never an I life. It's an us life. Today we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. Um, 
Los Prodigales Nino is what I like to call it. <laughs> and uh, before I start, I would like to communicate my position and stance on sin, because this is a message that um, can give you license. You know, you hear the story of the prodigal son and the father doesn't punish the son. Spoiler alert, sorry, if you haven't read that story. <laughs> but the father doesn't punish the son, so you might think this is a, a, a story that encourages, you know, sin or, you know, the ability to get away with stuff, and that's not it. So my position on sin, it's, it's real plain and clear, okay? Jesus dealt with it. He's not holding it against you but it is harming you and killing you, and for your sake, you need to stop. There's no law against looking at the sun, right? But you don't do it because it, it harms your vision, right? You can't see people clearly. You can't see situations clearly because you've been staring at the sun. That's sin. Jesus dealt with it. He's not holding it against you, but it is hurting you, you know? Now, this grace message, like I said, a lot of people will hear it and they will think it's a license to sin. And that's not true at all. This doesn't give you a license to sin. What it does do is encourage you to cultivate and nurture the freedom that Jesus paid for you to have. To garden it, to take care of it, to protect it at any cost. Um, Willem Doherty said, this is a pastor I like, a, an Irish pastor, and this is a quote he said, for the man or woman to think of the grace of God as a license to sin means they have not yet had a revelation that the grace of God is nothing less than the divine influence of himself. It is the presence of God. That's what grace is. Moses, the, the law came through Moses, right? Or I'm sorry, Moses gave the law. Moses gave the law. It was a physical thing that he could give away, to hand away. But grace and truth came through Jesus because it's a person. Grace is a person. With grace also comes spiritual maturity. I'll say it again. With grace comes spiritual maturity. Amen. Now, spiritual maturity, it looks like this. Spiritual maturity is expecting that what you packed in the suitcase is what's going to come out of the suitcase, right? If you're going to the beach, you're going to put stuff in for the beach, not CDs and spaghetti, right? <laughs> you can't pack that thing full and get to the beach and be like, what? How did this happen? I don't even remember packing it. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is knowing that what you plant in the garden is going to grow. Spiritual maturity is the application of wisdom, of spirit-given wisdom. And wisdom is influence and advice coupled together. Those are two different things. Advice and instruction, sorry. Coupled together is wisdom. So spiritual maturity is acting on that wisdom. This is interesting. Spirit mature, I'm sorry, spiritual maturity has an ugly cousin named legalism. <laughs> now that's a sussy baka, that, that legalism. <laughs> now you can have somebody operating in spiritual maturity and someone operating in legalism. 
both doing the same thing, but for completely different reasons. The spiritual mature person says, I don't want to smoke because I know it's going to harm me, and I don't want to do that. The legalistic person says, I don't want to smoke because God will get mad at me. And he said, I shouldn't, so I'm not going to do it. Spiritual mature person says, I don't want to be promiscuous because it's going to harm me and it's going to hurt my relationship with the Father. And I don't want to do that. I want to protect this. The legalistic person says, God will be mad at me if I disobey him. So if you will, open up your Bibles or open your applications on your cellular device to Luke chapter 15. Now we're going to talk about the prodigal son. I think it's important to understand the context before I get into this. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking to sinners and tax collectors. And what I realized recently was that this isn't an unfamiliar story to the Pharisees. The idea of a, a Jewish person or an Israelite taking money and spending it with Gentiles and losing it is not an unfamiliar idea. They even had a ceremony called a kezaza for when this person would come back after spending all their money where the elders of the village would come out and they would break pots, they would, they would break clay. To symbolize the person who had wandered off, they would symbolize their break from the bloodline of Israel. So this is not, this is not a foreign concept to the, to the Pharisees. So when Jesus talks about this at the beginning, it is in line with what the Pharisees know. They're like, yes, we've, we've heard this before. But it takes a dramatic turn near the end. So I'm going to paraphrase the first bit, then we'll pick up in chapter 14. This, this, this man has two sons, and the younger son demands his inheritance from his father. He says, I want it now, and I want you to divide the property, and I, I want my money. That's coming to me. So the father divides his property and gives his younger son his share of the inheritance. The younger son goes off into a far country full of Gentiles, and spends the money in reckless living. Reckless living. And not long after he spends everything he has, there a famine rises, right? And, and he begins to be in need. And that's where we're going to pick up at verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. I want to pause there for a second. Because this right here is the hinge that makes the prodigal son think to himself, I don't think I'm supposed to be like this. He has a physical need that is not being met. He has a physical need that is not being met. This right here is going to send him back into the arms of the father. Not his desire to be with the father. Not out of a genuine want to reconnect with his father. He wants to go back to his father because of a need, right? Some of us, I particularly have a hard time with that. I, you know, we have four kids, and sometimes with the boys, they just want the situation to be fixed, so they apologize to each other, but their hearts 
aren't behind it. Have you all ever said that to your kids? No, say sorry like you mean it, you know? <laughs> it's not a genuine, it's not a genuine sorry. So this is, this is what the, the younger son, the prodigal, is, is formulating in his mind. I'm just going to go back. I'll just say this apology to my dad. He'll let me back, and my needs will be met. Just because his servant's needs are met, and I remembered that, so I'll just I'll go back to him. But it's not... That, to me, would be a physical repentance, not a spiritual repentance. Uh, a spiritual repentance would be acknowledging the goodness of the Father and his intention in your life to want to make it better, if that makes sense. He wants his need met. He's not going back to the Father because he wants to. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, not our need to be met. So we're going to go past. So he formulates this apology. He's meditating on it. He's like, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, and then boom, we're going to be good. But let's go and skip to verse 19. One of the things he says, one of the things he meditates on that he's going to say to his father is, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That word worthy indicates to me that that the son has an idea of what his worth is. Or that the son has an idea that his worth is tied closely to his performance. Because he's saying, my behavior has disqualified me to be worthy of being your son. So he knows, he knows what his worth is, and he knows that he's worthless because of how he has acted. Man, is he in for a rude awakening because of the kindness of the Father, right? Let's go on. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Clint spoke about this before, this word compassion, which is splachnitsamai in Greek, which means you, you feel it in your gut. You feel it deep in your gut. And we've all had those gut feelings towards somebody, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Imagine that, but, but filled with compassion. And you probably have. You've seen somebody who's down and out. You've seen somebody who's struggling. And you feel that deep inside, just compassion. The, the Hebrew word that um, splachnitsamai is related to is rakamim, which indicates or talks about the womb the womb of Yahweh, okay? And when you think about a womb, what it does is it, it nurtures a child. It feeds a child. It grows a child. When we were pregnant, we. When Bethany was pregnant and I was doing nothing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, would, uh, we would sit and we would just dream about what the kids would be like. And... Um, you know, we would make plans about what it would be like once they were born. And um, it wasn't until they actually came along that we got to experience that and act on those plans. And that's what the compassion of this father is like. He sees his son while he's still a long way off. This compassion that's been in his womb finally gives birth, and he, he runs. He takes off. He goes straight for his son. 
And I don't know if you guys are aware of what they wore back in those times, but he wasn't wearing Nikes, and he wasn't wearing jogging shorts. He was wearing a dress. It was a tunic. This thing was strapped tightly around his ankles, okay? And I'm going to demonstrate for you what it would look like if he ran like that. <laughs> that's not a run. That's like a, a polite, yet I'm in a hurry to find a bathroom type thing. <laughs> So if you will imagine with me, this, this father, in order to run to his son, had to pull it up to get it at least above his knees so he could stride, so he could stride. And what that would do would, that would mean he was disgracing himself because they weren't supposed to show any skin, definitely not on their ankles, not on their legs. So he's disgracing himself because the compassion that he has just given birth to is so overwhelming. He just wants his boy. And so the whole village comes out. The whole village comes out. And they're following this father to his son because you know what they're, they're ready for? They're ready for the kazaza. They're, ready, they're bringing their pots out and they're like, look, the prodigal son came back and he's penniless. It's time to do the ceremony where we get to tell him he's worthless. It's time we do the ceremony where we tell him he's cut off from the bloodline of Israel. Come on, grab all your clay, grab all your pots, let's go. And the father's getting to the son before they even have the chance to. He's getting to the son. He gets to the son. He wraps his arm around him. He kisses him. He hugs him. And, and uh, the son, the son is ready. He's like, man, I've just been walking forever. I've got this uh, apology recited. All right, here we go. He picks up verse 24. I'm sorry, 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can say the rest, before he can say, treat me like one of your hired servants, the father cuts him off. Jesus is so intentional. He's so intentional about the words he chooses when he's telling the story. The son is confused about his worth and his identity. The last thing the son says to his father is, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he cuts him off. The father cuts him off, as if to say, don't talk anymore. Listen. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they all began to celebrate. The last thing the son said to his father was, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And what does the father do? He reminds the son of his identity and his value and his worth. He says, this son of mine, this son of mine, put a robe on him put a ring on it, put shoes on his feet. The kid didn't even have shoes on. He just walked this long journey and he's barefoot. And the father's like, get shoes on his feet. The father cares about him so much. And he reminds him that you are my son. And so the Pharisees are probably just floored at this point. They cannot believe that Jesus didn't mention the ceremony of breaking the pot and he accepted this this spoiled brat back into his family with no consequences. They're probably just gassed. And before they had the chance to probably 
ask Jesus, like, well, you should have done this, you should have done this. Jesus tells the part of the older brother. The older brother. Verse 28. I'm going to paraphrase the first few verses just to bring us up to speed. We have an older brother who's all he's ever done his entire life is serve his father. He stayed. He was obedient. He served the father. He was attentive. He did everything the father asked. He was there when his younger brother decided to just split. He was there when his younger brother left and decided to party. He watched the entire thing and he stayed. I'm going to stay. Verse 28. The older brother was angry, but when he was angry and refused to go in, his father came out and entreated him. It's important to know that the father came out for the second time for the older brother. He went out once for the younger brother. He didn't stay inside when the older brother had a problem. He came out for the older brother as well. Some of us have been the older brother. Some of us in this room have been in the older brother and the younger brother. Everybody represents one or two, right? You're either the one that's estranged from the father who came to the father because of how much garbage was in their life, or you're the legalistic person who was brought up in the church, Bible-thumping people, you know, turn or burn, and they're, they're, they're upset because God's welcoming these people back. You've either been the older brother or the younger brother at some point in your life. And the father comes out for both of them and gives grace to both of them. So he says, um, this is verse 29. He answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So the younger brother is willing to become a servant. That's what he says in his apology. I'm going to tell my father that I'm not worthy to be his son, but I'll work as a servant. But the irony is that the older brother has been working as a servant the entire time and still has no idea who the father is. He has no clue who the father is. But when this son of yours came home, this is verse 30, who's devoured, devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fattened calf. This is 31. He, and the father, this is the father's response. Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. So we have the younger, we have the younger brother who relates to the father based on his bad performance. Okay, we have the older brother who relates to the father on his good performance. And they are both missing the father's heart. They're both missing the father's heart. The younger brother says, I can't partake in everything my father has for me because I've done this. The older brother says, I should be allowed to partake in everything my father has because I've done this. But they're missing out. One wandered away and one worked away. You'll see that. One wandered away from the father because he wasn't, he wasn't understanding the father's love for him. And one worked away from the father because he wasn't understanding. And he's telling this to the Pharisees who know, who know this is them. They're like, that sounds familiar. 
They were just thinking this in their mind. They're like, we sound like the older brother in this story. And then Jesus throws on the part about the older brother, and they're like, um, uh-oh. Hello. <laughs> so this is, this part right here, I'll, I'm going to read 31 again. And just like, just like the kid in the youth group that asked the, if Pontius Pilate was not actually a pilot, I want you to listen to this scripture with fresh ears. Come on, Sam. <laughs> That's true. Um, I want you to, to listen to this as if you're hearing it for the first time, okay? This, this verse that we're going to close with. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. Not all that I have could be yours. Not all that I have may be yours if. That's what the younger brother, or I'm sorry, the older brother's been thinking that the entire time. In order to get what my father has, I have to. And that's not, that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is good news, not good advice. There is a difference. Good advice says, uh, Chelsea, I've got great news. I know your car's not working right. I've got the instructions here, and uh, we're going to start working on it. That's, that's advice, right? Good news is if Clint says, Chelsea, i got great news. Your car's fixed. No cost to you. It's just fixed. That's good news, right? Suddenly, my good advice don't look so good. <laughs> the good advice says, you have to do this. The good news says, it's already done, right? And so when the Father says, everything that I have is yours, what does he say? I'm sorry, 31, and all that is mine is yours. That's healing. That's prosperity. That's peace. That's joy. And this isn't, I, I don't want to discourage anybody if you're not experiencing those things. But the son had those. The older brother had those things. Why was he not experiencing them? Because he wasn't experiencing the father. He was focused on trying to get those things through his own efforts. Rather than sitting with the father, letting the father give them to him. That's tough. Because it's a paradox, right? It's not, it's not always that easy. But I want to encourage you today that everything the Father has is yours. Not will be if you, but is yours because he. Um, this is nice, right? Like, we're all getting out of here early today. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to close with a story, and um, uh, this happened last year. We were headed to night market in Peachtree City, and Bethany had already gone, and I had the boys in Shiloh, and, and we were leaving the house, and um, the boys were real excited to get ice cream. And I told them, I was like, yep, we'll get ice cream. I'll buy you ice cream when we get there. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. Let's get ready to go. And Samson found a $5 bill in his pocket when we were leaving. And he was like, sweet, 
I can use this at the night market. And I was like, yeah, you can, you can use it to get the ice cream if you want. <laughs> right? And uh, so we load into the car, and, and we live on Bob Smith, which is off Lower Fayette. And we're headed into, into Peachtree City. So we're on Lower Fayette, and we're about to turn left at the dead end onto Fisher Road, right where all that new construction is now. And sometimes in the afternoon, that, that little one-stop sign gets backed up. So we're sitting there for a minute, and there's a, a young gentleman by the stop sign with a, with a sign that just says, need help, you know, food, whatever. And um, I didn't say anything to the boys. I didn't think that was a, an opportune time to, to school them on the fact that some people out there are just doing that to panhandle. You know, they actually are, you know, I didn't think that was the time to talk to them about that. So I just, I just kept my mouth closed. And um, they were like, what's he doing, Dad? I was like, well, he's, look, he needs help. He needs, he needs help. They're like, okay. And so we got closer. And that, that's not a really bad. I'm, I'm a pretty nice person, <laughs> compassionate person. <laughs> he was a sussy balker, this one. <laughs> yeah, no cap. Um, no, that, that's, that came out wrong. I just, <laughs> I told the boys, I was like, he needs help. So, uh, so Samson rolled down his window as we got closer and gave him the $5. And he um, said, have a good, you know, have a good day. We, we took off and it was kind of quiet in the car. And uh, I, I asked him, I was like, I was like, hey, that was, that was pretty cool, buddy, you know. Why did you do that? And he was like, "Oh, he said he needed help." And I was like, "Okay, you didn't want to. You didn't want to use that money for, for anything at the night market or anything. You didn't want to get ice cream." And he was like, "No, because you already told me that you would get it for me, <laughs> right?" But but the uh, the idea is he trusted in what I had said so much that he was able to act on his own, right? And and that's what I want to encourage us to do this week is to actively remind ourselves of what the Father has said to us. He no longer calls us servants. We're friends. We're his children. We're heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We're his loved ones. Like He cares about us so much. And all we have to do is sit with him and let him love us. Yeah. Well, should I pray? I mean, what's, what do we do now? Pray. All right, let's let's pray real quick. Father God, thank you so much for your living word that operates in us and through us. Thank you so much, God, that you love us and that you came out for both the younger brother and the older brother. Thank you, God, that it is your desire, your desire to be kind to us and to come after us. Thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in this room, God. I pray that um, this week you would, you would just help us to actively remember your faithfulness and your promises to us, God, and that it is finished and that everything that you have for us, we have because of the work Jesus did. We love you, Father. Amen. 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 Thanks, ma'am. Show Lyle a little bit of love for jumping up here.
Yeah. It's not easy. I think people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. It's like public speaking, moving, and dying on the fear list. I hate moving. You said you weren't going to teach. You're like whipping out Hebrew and cultural stuff. And that was not, that was no, no cap. Can you use it that way? No, I don't know. Justin, no. Can you do a double negative in front of a cap? That was a real nerdy question, wasn't it? I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, that the older brother mindset, <clears throat> it's, it's super easy to spot the older brother mindset when it's that overt, elitist, legalistic perspective. But the older brother mindset also creeps in when you're holding yourself to a standard that you know you can't live up to and you're, and you're walking in guilt and shame and regret. That's also the older brother mindset is that my father relates to me based on my performance. So there is a self-righteousness in that you feel really good about yourself when you've done well, but the self-righteousness is also reflected in that you feel horrible about who you think that you are and you think that that affects how God feels about you. And again, it's not a permissiveness, not, it's not the door to permissiveness. It's just relating to God out of your heart rather than through law and legalism. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you can learn to make that switch to relate to God out of your heart, out of the relationship that you have with him, there is godly sorrow, you know, when you mess up. There is repentance, but it's not to get back into his good graces or because you've fallen out of and, you know, this whole concept of, God's hand of anointing is on you when you're doing well, but if you slip into sin, he removes his hand a little bit off of you, and you know, all that garbage theology. Uh, we, we, we're pretty good about having an un, a good understanding about the new covenant in terms of the information that we believe, but in terms of how we think the spiritual side works, it, there's still mixture, meaning it's somewhat old covenant based in terms of how you think God relates to you spiritually. Or, you know, I don't want to re-preach what I talked about last week, but but it's just, you know, it's so true. So, appreciate you sharing on that. Um, there's more to come. Amen. Well, let's stand up, place your attention on the Lord. Our prayer team will come up. You know, we believe in miracles around here. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active and alive. Jesus, in his atoning work on that cross took your diseases he took the punishment for your sin he it even says he became poor that you might be made rich and that's not to jump into the prosperity you know the prosperity gospel is actually a legalistic understanding of a spiritual reality the spiritual reality is generosity you know i'm going to use i'm going to use your uh, illustration of samson giving that five dollars that is a beautiful illustration of why we can be generous because we know our provision is from our Father. So then you just can be generous with what you get, that little bit you got in your pocket. You know, to your son, to Samson, you are the richest man on the planet. There is no end to what you can provide for him. I'm sure he believes that. <laughs>
And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not just trying to craftily shift into getting you to give a big offering. I'll just tell you flat off, right off the bat, I'd give as much as you possibly can give because we've got stuff to do. Amen. We've got a church to build. We've got property to buy. It's pretty full in here. You know, you add maybe five more families and we're to the point where we need to go to two services. I don't know. I would imagine as a staff, we're probably going to start having these conversations of what that looks like. I don't want to force that. I don't really want to do that. But if you guys keep bringing people, we'll do that. But you should keep bringing people, you know what I mean? And then we'll just go buy some property and build a building. I think we're at about 330000 in our building fund, so you can't really necessarily jump out and buy anything with that. But we're, it's growing. You know, it's getting there. We'll just steady as she goes. We have, we have no debt. Uh, we have no financial pressure. And I would like to keep it that way, you know? So... I don't know, is your friend here, is he like, really, can you write a $10 million check? I like to put the new people on the spot <clears throat> because it just go ahead and makes a they can make the decision whether they want to stick around or not. I'm terrible, I know, I'm terrible. But we do, we, be, we believe in healing, we believe that God is active, and we specifically believe it from the perspective of it's already paid for. See, living the Christian life, you have to know that you are first and foremost a eternal spiritual being. That is who you are. You are then living out a temporary existence in these bodies. So what's more true of you is what is true of you in your spiritual identity, specifically in the area of healing. You're already healed. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit lacks nothing. And so what we're trying to do is renew our minds so that the rest of our being experiences the reality of our spirit. Does that make sense to you? So when we pray, what these men and women up here are going to do is not try to convince God to give you something. Jesus already gave it to you. We're trying to help shape this world to match what is already true in that eternal dimension. So if you need prayer for anything, it may be changing the way that you learn how to pray. But we want to agree with you because Jesus paid for it. And if Jesus paid for it, it's yours now. So you can boldly believe without having to understand it from the physical perspective. You understand it from that eternal dimension. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be generous. Just like Samson giving that $5 bill away, we give so that we can help. We help get this message out. We help these missions in Kenya. We help local families. We take care of the needs of, of the organization because we know that that is not our provision, that you are our provision. And in fact, you put seed into us so that we can be a blessing in this earth. So we thank you for the opportunity to be generous, not out of obligation, not out of law, but out of a fruit of our relationship with you. Father, thank you that you're helping us be even more generous, teaching us how to depend on you. That's what we want to use our finances for, is to teach our hearts how to be fully dependent on you. And we do, we trust you. Father, I think that as we go out in our, our week, this week, that we remember the story of the prodigal that Lyle taught about today, excuse me, spoke on today. <laughs> That, that we remember that you desire to relate to us based on children, not as servants. We do want to serve. We serve people, but we are your children. Thank you that we are safe in your family. Father, we speak abundant blessing over everybody in this room. 
that all needs are being spoken to by your spirit, that wisdom is birthing. Father, that those those words of knowledge are being spoken to our hearts. And as we minister to each other, we're confirming the finished work of Jesus. We're testifying of who Jesus is, and we're reminding each other of what Jesus paid for. And sometimes the details come also in specifics. So, Father, this I, I just I'm so thankful for this opportunity for us to gather together, to encourage each other, to lift one another up, to be a blessing to each other, to speak into each other's lives, watching the church be the church, and we give you glory for that. So we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.